dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There are so many reasons for us to be upset today, to be discouraged today, but there are even more reasons for us to be hopeful. And St. Peter, the leader, demonstrates the role of leadership in inspiring and encouraging hope, even in the darkest of times. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so glad that we have this chance to be together and to really try to go deeply into the Word of God, this message of hope and redemption. Today, we're going to be following deeply into the footsteps of St. Peter, right? Because we're trying to understand who Peter was as a leader. We all know he was the Pope. He was the first of the apostles, you know, the prince of the apostles. He was the leader that we all understand him to be. But what does that actually show us about his role as a leader, the decisions that he had to make, that the kind of leader that he was? I think by looking at how God sculpted St. Peter, we can understand something of what he's calling us to be today and something of what he expects of us as his leaders today. It's almost like you can look into St. Peter's leadership, the first leader of the church, to chosen by Christ, formed by Christ, right? To understand what he's looking for in our own leadership. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's take a look uh, today. We're, we're going to focus in here on Acts chapter 3. This is the healing of the man who has been a cripple from birth. And this healing is extremely powerful. Uh, it has huge effects throughout the whole of the New Testament to follow. Because this act of healing will catapult St. Peter into his first conflict. And, and, and how he deals with that. But we're not there yet. L let's look exactly at what's going on. Pentecost Sunday hits, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fills the tongues of the, the apostles who speak the gospel, and everyone hears the gospel spoken in their native language, even though the apostles were speaking in a different one. That's an amazing miracle. And then St. Peter stands up amidst, and with the 12, and he proclaims this amazing speech all the way through to the end of Acts chapter 2, where it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Well, immediately after that, it speaks about how those very first 3,000 Christians formed a community. 
They broke bread together. They were, they listened to the apostles teach them. Everyone was filled with awe. The believers were together. They put everything in common. Wonderful scene. And then all of a sudden, Acts 3 happens. And with great detail, it's recounted that this man had been crippled from birth, never walked before. And then this happens. Let's listen. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called the beautiful gate, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. All right, so we see what's going on here. This is a, a man who's never walked before in his entire life is made to not only walk but to jump up and down and to run and jump, proclaiming uh, to the whole world what happened to him. This is astounding for, for many reasons, right? Mostly, it's this sign that Peter works along with John. This sign that a man who has never walked could suddenly walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the key here. He proclaims Jesus of Nazareth overtly here. And each time that he does, amazing things happen. So he proclaims of Jesus of Nazareth overtly on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people are baptized. He proclaims Jesus of Nazareth in his name, and he's able to make a man who's crippled from birth to walk. This proclamation of Jesus of Nazareth has become for Peter really the pathway of, of the proclamation of the gospel. He is not to proclaim the, the ineffable God alone. He talks about Christ's humanity. He speaks about God in the flesh. He speaks about God who came to save 
a fallen world in the person of Jesus. Now, what's so remarkable about this? Why is this important as Peter is a leader? It's important because that was the same Jesus whom Peter also denied. The Jesus whom he proclaims is a Jesus whom Peter himself once had turned his back upon and now is proclaiming him boldly. This is, shows us something that me means that Peter's heart had to be completely turned in confidence in Christ's mercy in order to proclaim that very Christ to the rest of the world. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Listen, we all know that Simon Peter was, you know, chosen by Christ. We know that he was present as the intimate circle in every single one of Christ's events where he demonstrated special revelation to the apostles, Peter, James, and John. He was always listed as the first of the apostles. He was the one that spoke at Pentecost. It's obvious that Peter's the head of the church and the head of this assembly. He's the chosen leader by Christ. That's why it was so traumatic when Simon Peter denied him three times. We all know the scene, right? At the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And Peter says, is it I, Lord? You know, I, I will never betray you. I, no matter what, I'd give my life for you. It's, it's, you're like, wow, that's great leadership, right? Just like so many times in our lives as leaders, we, we want to step forward and do the right thing. And so we say we will do it no matter what, you know. It's kind of like we will do the other 4,000 things that are on our desk. <laughs> And then people underneath us can sometimes be like, yeah, 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 right. You're going to do it just like you're going to. You said you were going to do this other stuff, and you didn't. And now you're saying you're going to do this. Why should I believe you, right? And, and sometimes they're right for saying that because we end up not doing all the things that we said we were going to do. And, 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 and it, beyond that, there's also just the good aspirations that we have that we think we're going to be a great leader, but when the rubber meets the road and challenge actually hits us, we, we can make mistakes. We could run away. We could fail in our leadership. It's not guaranteed just because we have the title of leader that we actually are going to be ready to lead, especially in the hard times. What if we let our people wrong? I mean, how many times has that ever happened to you, right? You just know that you actually had the chance to lead and you've led poorly, either through your personal fault or through no fault of your own. But your leadership led the company or the team into a worse place than before. What do you do with that? Well, most of us, what we do with that is we turn into big negative energy in our heads and we don't let ourselves out of that hole. And we all know that when that happens and you don't let yourself back into the realm of leadership, you will be, your tomb is like sealed. It's like you crawled into a hole and then you made it a tomb, right? You pull the rock over the top of it and you said, I deserve to be in this hole. And then you're going to die there. 
and you can't afford to die there, neither for yourself nor for all those who depend upon you, nor for all those whom you are called to lead. Christ does not call his leaders into tombs, everybody. He calls you out of them. Let's get it straight here. <laughs> the Christian message is not that we're supposed to go into the tomb. The Christian message is that you're supposed to come out of it, right? And so, so when, you're, when you're faced with this, you're like, my gosh, you know, it's so hard to really hope. Real hope requires really looking at the hurt and the disasters and the failures that we can have occasioned ourselves and push on anyway. It's hard because on the one hand, so many of us have dignity and integrity. And we think that that requires, therefore, that justice be served upon ourselves. And I, of course, justice has to be served upon yourself. You know, of course, you can't be sitting there going around acting like everything is fine when it's not. But, but when you yourself declare that this game is over for you as a leader, you've also declared that it's over for everyone who's followed you. If Simon Peter had declared that the game was over because he denied Christ at the very critical moment when Christ needed him and when the other apostles needed him, I mean, this was the leadership moment. This was the moment where Jesus, the beloved master, was, was being betrayed by one of their own. I mean, it wasn't even like he was betrayed by some guy on the outside. It was Judas himself who betrayed Jesus. One of the 12, one of the brothers. So the head of the company of, of the apostles, the leader of this band of brothers, it was his job to make sure that that, that didn't happen. I mean, he had mutiny in his own ranks. He had division amongst his own team. And Simon Peter contributed to it. Because when they asked him if indeed he knew who Christ was, he responded, I do not know the man. And St. Augustine underlines for us that it was even more dastardly because the one he denied him in front of had no power. The one he denied him in front of was the portress, the servant girl. She wasn't even someone who could have crucified him, someone who, she was the portress. And so in that, in presence of such a, uh, just a downward spiral, such a devastating denial, you would think that Peter would have said, that's it guys, I'm done. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not made for this. And so I'm just not going to lead anymore. That's exactly what so many of us do. And the reason we do that isn't necessarily because we're bad leaders. It's because we want to be good ones. But my friends, if your team is left leaderless, you're not helping it to victory. Right? So the, if we're going to win and we're going to bring our people to the to the 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 goal that we desire we cannot be the first ones to seal them into the tomb of defeat on the contrary we've got to figure out a way to communicate with them effectively that there is hope it is the hope of success and the hope of doing better that keeps people moving forward and it's the hope that in fact they can reach the goal that allows people the audacity to try. 
If you're not trying or your people aren't trying or your family isn't trying or your kids aren't trying, ask yourself if you're leading in hope. I mean, if we look around everyone around us and we say, gosh, everyone around me is hopeless, that is the time for the leader. So many of us want to wait for some sort of war scene, you know, for us to step forward like Churchill into the darkest of days, you know, and inspire hope in people, etc. Well, that war day is every single day of your career. Do you think that people only need hope when the Nazis are attacking them? I think there's something even worse than the Nazis attacking them today. You know, I mean, it's like the way that we attack ourselves and the way that the, the challenges in front of our businesses are so immense. I mean, there's a million reasons to quit and just try to go get a job, right? That's the, the, the entrepreneur has to be someone who's like a general facing into a war to win every day. The entrepreneur represents a spirit of humanity that says we're going to go where no one has gone before. We're going to build what does not yet exist. We're going to achieve something, you know, without really knowing how we're going to achieve it. It's an amazing person to be an entrepreneur. It's an amazing person to be a leader of a team of people in business. When every reason out there says to you that, you know, it'd be so much easier if you just stopped. All the pain would stop if you just stopped, right? And so I would even say that the devil knows that. And what the devil wants is for you to stop and quit and start living for yourself instead of for your team and for your goals. And to do that, one of the things that's just essential is to learn that Christ and his message are hope for you. And that that hope that he gives to you, you can indeed give to those whom you lead. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. St. Peter led by hope. If we look at, at Acts 3, take a look at the speech here that Peter gives. So he heals the man who'd been crippled from birth. The guy jumps up and down. He's going in the temple. Everybody's so excited about it because, that, I mean, he's been crippled from birth. Everybody knew this guy. They were bringing him to the gate to beg. I mean, his own, you know, incapacity to walk had become an identity. An identity that other people were helping, right? And so he had a whole system worked out. And this, so this guy is well known. And they see that he's running and jumping and praising God. That's verse 9. And then verse 11, he's clinging to Peter and John. I mean, this is a pretty emotional moment. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So you can see the scene, right? Everybody hears this happening and there's a crowd that gathers at the feet of Peter. And what does Peter do? Well, Peter speaks to them the gospel of life. But listen how he does it. Verse 13, right? He says that God has glorified his servant Jesus. And then he said, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, although he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one 
and ask that a murderer be released to you. I mean, all of us are feeling pretty vile right now. We're all like, oh, you're right. You know, we did some bad things here. He says, you killed the author of life. So there he makes four, four different accusations against them. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. You handed Jesus over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Now you can say to yourself, well, gosh, who is this guy who is saying all this, right? By what right does he have to say all this? Especially when you realize that Simon Peter was the one who denied Christ three times. Right? You could almost like have one of them shout out from the crowd, and you denied him three times, you know? And, and so how can Peter, who himself has such guilt on him, you know, then turn and point out the guilt of the others? It's because of this next sentence. This is verse 15. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. Peter's witness, in other words, is not to the fact that he denied Christ and that they denied Christ. Peter's witness is to the fact that God raised him from the dead. You know, someone told me one time that the, the most powerful expression in all of Scripture is two simple words. And I said, what's that? And he said, but God. <laughs> and it's true, if you go and look at the way that the, the Scriptures are written, it's something like 37 times that there's a quote that starts with, but God. Meaning we did something terrible, but God had a different word. And his word was not to punish our terribleness, but to show us mercy. And here you've got Sam and Peter fueled with this knowledge. And knowledge from the inside, having himself been object of that mercy, having received this action of God on his behalf, the but God here is so huge. And Simon Peter was the one who, in fact, was forgiven. So he can then turn and offer hope to those who are around him. As God gave him hope, so can he give hope. Listen to what he says here. Verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus... This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through it that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. And then verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God has fulfilled what he has foretold through the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Wow, it's just like, so he, he goes on to proclaim to them that they have a hope despite their sins because of God. And the fact is, then he says, you sinned only out of ignorance. The reason I think this is so important for us is that our world today is a world that is catapulting itself towards, towards mutual recrimination. Everybody blaming everybody else 
for everybody else's fault. And the fact is, they're right. It is everybody else's fault. There's not a single person on the face of this earth who is innocent from all the things that are happening on this earth right now. We are all sons and daughters of Abraham and sons and daughters even further back of Adam and Eve. All of us are sinners. And so if we want to spend our time blaming everybody else, we can be right all the time and yet still be wrong. <laughs> we can be wrong because the fact is, even though we were right for blaming everybody, we were wrong in the sense that that did not help. It's like when you meet somebody who's telling you conspiracy theories and they're like, here's the great cause of all the evil in the world, you know? And, and, and they might be right, but you could just say, let's suppose that you're right. How does it help you to know this? You know, how is this making you happier, better, more successful, more efficient? Because the fact is, we can spend all of our time fascinated about the cause behind the blame that we can assign to things. But that doesn't help us to move forward. The leader is called not just to decode the secret knowledge of what's made the world the way it is. The leader is called to engage this world in, on its own terms and to bring it to a better perfection, to a higher level. And this is what Simon Peter demonstrates to us here. He's not hanging on to his past, nor is he telling them that they have to hang on to theirs. He's leading them in hope by saying that the first thing happened is that God went beyond Peter's sins. That though Peter was a sinner and though Peter was a failure, God stepped in and took, the, took Peter to a new level. And that then they can do exactly the same. The message of Christian hope is a message of saying that no, as long as there is fire in your belly, there is reason for you to continue on. And as long as there is possibility, there is also a call for leaders to claim it. Simon Peter is a prophet of hope and he demonstrates by his leadership this, the, the essential that we have like St. Paul. Putting the past behind me, I strain forward with every nerve to lay hold of the one who has laid hold of me. There is a crown of righteousness ahead of me, and I'm striving for that crown. There is indeed a victory that we can achieve together. Let us strain every nerve and make it happen for the glory of God, the betterment of this world, and the fact that I've been entrusted a mission and I will not stop until that mission is accomplished. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.